The Lord calls us to worship this morning from the book of Psalms, chapter 95. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. For the Lord is the great God and the great king above all gods. In his hand are the deep places of the earth. The heights of the hills are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O come and let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Amen. together in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we come before your throne of grace today to worship you, to call upon your name, to lift up songs of praise, to give you our hearts and our lives in worship. Lord, we pray that you would be pleased with everything that happens here today that the words of our mouths, the meditations of our hearts, the songs that are on our lips would be pleasing to you. Lord, we pray that this would be a day not of going to church, but of worshiping the living God. Lord, we pray that you would pour out your spirit upon us. We pray this in Jesus' name, knowing that you delight to answer the prayers of your people. And we pray that you would answer this one today, Lord that you would pour out your spirit on us, that we would hear and see and believe, that you would help us to feed upon Christ, that we would taste and see in your word that you are good. And Lord, we pray now, joining our voices together, praying the prayer that you taught your disciples to pray, saying out loud, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. This morning for our confession of faith, we're going to recite together the Apostles' Creed. Because this is a profession of your faith and confession of that faith with one another, I ask you, Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. For all who cling to the Lord Jesus by faith and trust in his righteousness alone, hear these words of assurance of your pardon in God's presence. From the book of Romans, chapter 8, beginning in verse 34. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or the sword? As it is written, 
For your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities nor powers, nor things present nor things to come, nor height nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Let's continue to worship the living God now by singing together hymn number 94, How Firm a Foundation. Yes, they use their voices. 
Well, I, I have a, a question for you this morning, and it's a little bit of review, but it's something related to the sermon this morning, and I wanted to talk about it for just a few minutes, okay? I wanted to ask you if you know when we confess in the Apostles' Creed, we believe in the communion of the saints. And then there's also a doctrine that we hold, a teaching in our church that we hold very dear. It's called the perseverance of the saints. And so I wanted to ask you, can anybody tell me who are the saints in the communion of the saints and the perseverance of the saints? Who are those people? Anybody? Any ideas? Do you see any of them today? No. No. No ideas? Anybody? Do you think it's the, the special Christians? Maybe like the, the elders or the deacons or maybe the apostles in the New Testament? They saw Jesus. Yes or no? Maybe. Maybe. Well, actually, we believe that the communion of the saints and the perseverance of the saints actually refers to you and me. We're called saints. We're called God's people. So when it says that God's people persevere, they actually stick to Christ. They hang in there in the difficulties of life, in the ups and downs, in the hills and the valleys. They trust God even when it seems like all hope is gone. When there's no more light, only darkness, they persevere. They believe God's promises. They hold on to them. Even when it seems like everyone else is letting go. So when you confess on Sunday morning that you believe in the communion of the saints, that's not a special group of people out there somewhere. That includes you. And when you hear in the sermon in just a little bit about God's people persevering, continuing to the end in the faith, that's not something about somebody else. That's about you persevering to the end. You are called saints. You are called children of the living God. It's why we, we speak about you as children of the covenant. Each one of you has a responsibility to obey the covenant, to belong to the Lord, to walk in His ways, to persevere. So I'm going to pray for you for that this morning, that you would trust the Lord, that you would walk in His ways and be His. I'll pray for you. Father, I thank you for these covenant children that you have blessed our church family with. Lord, I pray that you would put your word in their hearts, that they might not sin against you. Lord, I pray for them in the attacks of the enemy who would love to steal them if he could. He would love to steal their faith and their hope in you. He would love to steal the scriptures right out of their minds that you have put in there for them, that they would hope in you and trust in you. Lord, I pray for them in all the messages that they hear in this world that they would be able to distinguish because of the power of the Holy Spirit, the truth from error. Lord, I pray that you would help them to know that your word doesn't change, that it doesn't change because of our feelings or because of what we want. Your word is firm and sure. And Lord, I pray that you would protect them from all the evil in this world, people seeking to, to change their minds about you and about themselves, to try to make an identity for who they are, apart from you. And Lord, I pray that you would hold them in your hand as your word promises. And I pray, Lord, that they would persevere to the end. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, boys and girls. This morning for our responsive reading, uh, please turn in your hymnal to uh, page 838. We're going to read together Psalm 144. On page 838, Psalm 144, I'll begin with the light portion. Uh, please respond out loud together with the bold. Praise be to the Lord, my rock. He is my loving God and my fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer. My shield and my take refuge, who subdues the 
O Lord, what is man that you care for him? The son of man that you think of him? Part your heavens, O Lord, and come down. Touch the mountains so that they smoke. Reach down your hand from on high. Deliver me and rescue me from the mighty waters. I will sing a new song to you, O God. On the ten string lyre, I will make music to you. Deliver me and rescue me from the hands of foreigners. Then our sons in their youth will be like well nurtured plants. Our barns will be filled with every kind of provision. There will be no breaching of walls, no going into captivity, no cry of distress in our streets. Amen. Let's stand together and continue to worship our God, singing hymn number 402, Abide With Me, Fast Fall the Eventide.
This month for our pastoral prayer time, we're praying for uh, two missionary families. Uh, the first is Roger and Laura Dye, and also we're praying for our prison ministry that one of our ruling elders, uh, D.B. Timms, is a part of. And we want to pray also uh, for the prison ministry, not only that we have the privilege of supporting through D.B. Going, but also uh, throughout this county and throughout the, the country, actually. And I think it's, it's no mistake at all that the Lord Jesus said, I was in prison and you visited me. There are places and people who have no visitors, who don't have anyone who goes and even speaks to them, let alone shares the gospel with them. So we want to pray for this ministry that the Lord would bless it, that he would use the gospel, that he would use his word to bring souls out of the kingdom of darkness and into his kingdom of light. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the privilege to be able to pray to you, to lift up the dies to you, to lift up our prison ministry and participation in it by Devi going each Sunday. Lord, we want to pray for the dies that you would continue to have your hand upon them, that you would bless the work that they are doing, that the translation work that Roger is doing would be for the benefit of marriages and families, that those who may be according to the watching world, they would say, this marriage will never work. They will never be able to stay together. But because of the hope of the gospel and the work of your spirit and your people, you do bring reconciliation and forgiveness and healing. People who were at odds with one another and had no hope of being able to be united again because of your work in their lives, because of your grace, you have brought forgiveness and healing. Lord, we pray that you would Protect Roger and Laura, that you would have your hand upon their family, that you would provide for their needs, and that you would minister even in their marriage, that you would cause them to be beacons of light in their family and with those they interact with on a weekly and a daily basis. And Lord, we do also lift up to you, Devi, as he goes into the jails, jail here each week, and we pray for others who go into prisons and jails to share your word with people who need to desperately hear it. Lord, we pray for those who are lonely and afraid. No doubt, Lord, there are people who are serving sentences in our jails who are there unjustly. And we pray, Lord, that you would comfort them as you send your servants into those doors with the word of God, teaching and telling them about the Lord Jesus Christ coming to die as a Savior for sinners for his people, and that he rose again from the dead, and that there is hope, even hope for those who are behind prison doors. Lord, I pray that you would cause the work of the gospel to be done in obedience to your command. Lord, we pray for those who don't have visitors, who don't see family or friends, and who may look forward each week to someone coming and sharing the Bible with them, reading with them and praying with them and for them. Lord, we pray that you would give increase in your kingdom because of this work. And Lord, I do also lift up to you our church family. As many people are, as are in this room this morning to worship you, there are many concerns on our hearts that are heavy. They weigh us down and our concerns are too much for us to bear. Concern for health or family members and relationships, for marriages, for children and grandchildren, for finances, for many things that are on our minds, Lord, that, that cause us to lose sleep at night, that wake us up in the morning. Lord, I pray for your people, that you would be strong and mighty, a presence in their heart and in their home. And Lord, I pray that you would be setting aside time for each family represented here to be in your word together. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for our sins that we might call upon your name and that you hear us. We thank you now in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to invite you to open your Bibles this morning to the New Testament book of Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. Our scripture text this morning is Hebrews 4 verses 1 through 10.
This is the word of the Lord. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we who have believed do enter that rest, as he said, so I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works, and again in this place, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains that some must enter it, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience. Again, he designates a certain day, saying in David, Today, after such a long time as it had been said, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works, as God did from his. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Today's sermon is entitled, A Promised Rest. We're continuing in our series, Being Still in the Busy, considering the peace and rest of God, not as an event or a vacation or a getaway from real life, but actually something that God's people may enter into by faith even right now. Even in the midst of hectic schedules and and a busy life. This pastoral letter, this book of Hebrews, was written to ethnic Hebrews. The historic people of God. Those who received the covenants, had the promises, and the law of God given to them. And the writer from the very beginning, from Hebrews chapter 1, holds high the greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. And he, from the very beginning, lays out for God's people the absolute necessity of living by faith. Some readers who would have read this letter might read it and and put their hands in their suspenders and sit back and say, I look at the past with a nostalgic longing, with a sense of national pride. We are God's people, they might say. But the writer here reminds them, That God punished many of their family. A great many of them. He was not pleased with. And in fact, an entire generation of this chosen people died in the wilderness. Not seeing, not beholding, not laying hold of the promised land. In Hebrews chapter 3, verses 16 to 19, he tells them very bluntly, very directly, with finality in his voice, God was not pleased with them. They had the right name. They were Israelites after all. They saw God's mighty acts with his own eyes. These were people that God led across the Red Sea on dry ground. They saw Pharaoh and the armies of Egypt perish when God closed up the waters again. They saw the mighty acts of God. They weren't just stories. They saw them with their own eyes. They heard God's message, and yet the Bible says that they fell short because of unbelief and disobedience. If you still have your Bible, turn to Hebrews chapter 3. We'll read verses 16 to 19. The writer says, For who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Now, with whom was he angry 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Is this not a needed message for God's church today? Is this not a needed message? Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. 
That's the end of Psalm 95. We read the first part, verses 1 through 7 this morning, in our call to worship. But the rest of Psalm 95 is what is spoken about here in Hebrews chapter 3 and then again in Hebrews chapter 4. And the writer quotes from Psalm 95 three times. They will not enter my rest. And then he says, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. This is a needed message in the church. There are many people who would say, I've been there my whole life. I've heard the gospel. I know about faith and repentance. I can tell you the day that I did those things. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, Paul says, Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. This morning I want to look at this passage under three headings very briefly. Number one, God's promise. Number two, their example. And number three, the exhortation to faith. Number one, God's promise. What was it, if you had to say it basically, what was it that God promised to the nation of Israel and to any who would call on Him by faith? What was the promise? God said, I will be your God. That according to His covenant, including both blessings and cursings, He said, I will be faithful to you. I will protect you from your enemies. I will provide for you. And I will give you my presence. I will be with you. I won't just send delegates. I will be with you. I will abide with you. As we sang just a moment ago. Praying to the Lord in that hymn. Abide with me. That's what Moses said. In the book of Exodus. When God's people were about to leave the mountain. God told Moses. You go ahead and leave the mountain. You've been here long enough. And Moses said. Please don't send us out. If you're not going to go with us. God promised in His covenant to His people, I will be your God, I will go with you. Moses begged God, don't send us anywhere, you're not going to come with us. What God was saying to His people when He pledged to be their God, throw away all of your idols, cleave only to Me, walk before Me in holiness by faith, and treasure Me as your great reward. Wasn't that what God told Abram in Genesis chapter 15? I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. That's what he promised to his people. They were to trust the reality of God's presence and his promises as more significant than any prize or any enemy, obstacle or trial they might see. God's presence is most significant to those whom he promises it. So what did God promise also besides being their God? He promised them, according to Hebrews chapter 3 and chapter 4, He promised that they would enter His rest. And we see this in the Old Testament, pledged in the Sabbath, in the fourth commandment, that the Sabbath was to be a holy day unto God. They were to not labor. They were to cease from their work, just as God has ceased on the seventh day after He created the world. He stopped all work. They were to cease. And to remember, to remember God's hand. This is also pledged in the land of Canaan. It was something that God's people longed for. Not only had they waited, they had waited for 40 years. Have you ever been delayed somewhere? Had to call and say, we're not going to make it on time? These people wandered in the wilderness for 40 years and never got where they were going. They never got there because of unbelief. God promised to His people, if you walk before Me in faith, if you keep My covenant, if you obey, I will subdue all of your enemies. I will give you rest. I will bless your families. You will enjoy the bounty of the land, the likes of which you have never seen. A land flowing with milk and honey and My presence. He would give them a sense of every day as they woke up, feeling the warmth of His presence in their life. And He would also give them in their heart a desire to long after that presence. That where they didn't, He would give it to them. Where they would say, Lord, I I believe, help my unbelief. He would answer it. He would give them the desire of their heart as they clung to Him in humility and in faith. But He said, this is the condition of enjoying my covenant, of enjoying the blessings of my rest, which I give. I freely give. The condition is this. It's faith. And in our passage this morning, the writer says that they heard the gospel in verse 2. 
They were to respond to it by faith. They were to take God at his word, believing that he would bless them as they lived before him in the beauty of holiness, that God would keep his word. We sang that this morning, that God in abiding with his people would not desert us to a foe. He wouldn't leave us to our enemies around us. He wouldn't leave us to Satan. He wouldn't leave us to ourselves in our sin. He promised to be with us and for us. This promise included blessings and curses. It wasn't just a promise that I'll do all the things you've ever hoped for. I'll give you more than you could ever ask for. This promise included blessings for those who would walk in obedience and faith. But it also included curses for those who were disobedient and walked and lived in unbelief before him. And I wonder if you're like me as you hear this. Or maybe you say, I've just got a bit of objection rising in my heart. You keep using this word curse. How could a good, supposed good and loving God pour out curses simply because they disobeyed him and because they lacked faith? Aren't you always saying that faith is the gift of God? So isn't it his fault? If they don't have faith, isn't it his fault? May we never say in the presence of God, you have no right to judge me. He is the living God. We confess this morning as God's people that he is the creator of all things. We bow before him. Our best posture is on our knees, on our faces in his presence. I encourage you, if that's you, deal with that doubt and unbelief in your heart. Do not just sit with it and walk away today. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. If you hear the voice of God through his word today, I'm not saying if you hear me. I'm saying if you hear the voice of God, listen. Be still. I know there are lots of priorities and things that have to happen and things that probably should have been done last week. But if you hear the voice of God today, be still and listen. You are not promised another opportunity. So number one, God's promise to be their God, to give them rest upon the condition of faith. Number two, their example. And their example is not something that you would say is a bright shining star. It's actually a fearful thing. And that's why he says in in Hebrews chapter four, verse one, since a promised rest remains. Let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. The writer of Hebrews is concerned for this church. He's concerned for them that maybe they're walking in the same patterns that the children of Israel did when they left Egypt. After they crossed the Red Sea, they saw the mighty hand of God. They heard his voice that they would somehow slack off in their faith. That they would not believe in the living God. What was their problem? It said over and over again in this text. That they were dull of hearing. It doesn't say nobody ever told them the gospel. It doesn't say nobody ever took the time to tell them. God himself spoke to them. They were dull of hearing. It says that the gospel was unprofitable to them. Because it was not mixed with faith. How many times have you heard the gospel story? Does it grip your heart that the God of the universe, the holy righteous judge, condescends to you and speaks to you repentance and faith in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? And that alone is the condition for belonging in his heaven through the Lord Jesus Christ alone. Are you dull of hearing? God says to them, I bore you on eagles' wings when I took you out of Egypt. I proclaimed precious promises to you. Precious promises that I purchased of my own goodwill. He promised to remain faithful to them in his covenant and provide for them. But the word of God did not remain sweet in their ears. They refused to believe. Even though you might read in Exodus chapter 19, they said when Moses spoke to them, we will do all that you say. They took the vows. They said those words. 
But they were not filled with faith. They were empty promises. They had no intention of following through. They were not willing to make sacrifices at all. What was their example? Not only was it dull hearing, it was drifting away from the living God. Look at chapter 3, verse 12. The writer is is here telling these, these Hebrews, this church, I'm concerned for you. Listen, wake up. I'm concerned for your souls. I'm not concerned for the face that you put on, what you wear on Sunday, the smile. I'm not even concerned about your name on the roll. I'm concerned for your soul. Hebrews chapter 3 verse 12. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. They drifted away. That's the example of those in the wilderness. They saw everything and they still left God. It was because of the evil in their own hearts, their sinfulness, that they could see the mighty acts of God, enjoy his lavish provisions in the wilderness, and yet still not be faithful to him. They drifted from God. They just slid away. It wasn't a big event. It was little by little, moment by moment. They read promises, they heard promises, they saw the mighty acts, they even may have talked about them. And each time they heard, a little bit more luster went off of the the shine of it. And a little twinkle went out of their eye, and their heart stopped skipping a beat when they heard of the goodness of God. It wasn't immediate. It was a gnawing away, a washing away, taking off the edges. They drifted away. They gave him their attention for a little while. They seemed to shoot into the sky like a star. But their hearts weren't with God. It was activity. It was religious activity. It wasn't true faith. Can you distinguish that in your own heart? Do you know the difference? Do you see it? They were living as a fraud in the shadow of God's providence. So lastly, their example, not only were they dull of hearing, they drifted from God. The Bible says they also received the judgment of God in the wilderness. Because of their unbelief and their disobedience, they did not obey the gospel that they heard. God swore, they will not enter my rest. And if you think that it's me that's harping on it, go back and look at the text. The writer to Hebrews quotes this in Verse 2, verse 3, verse 5, verse 6. It's because of their disobedience and their unbelief that they were punished by God. Is that a hard message for you to hear today? That God punishes sin? He absolutely does. You might say, well, that's the God of the Old Testament. And yet, I think part of the argument of Hebrews chapter 4 is that if there is still a promised rest for God's people, for us, the church, people who attend here at Lebanon, who say that our names are on the rolls, that we belong to the living God. If you hope in a promised rest in the future, you have to know there's also a promised curse and judgment for those who don't walk by faith. As sure as the promise is of His blessing is the promise of His curse if you disobey. God said you will not enter Canaan. You don't get to go into the land flowing with milk and honey. Because you wanted to go with fleshly eyes and not with spiritual ones. The entrance to Canaan was closed like the door on the ark that kept those out who perished in the flood. Revelation chapter 3 verse 7 says this, that he who opens the door opens it and no one may shut it. But he who shuts the door, no one may open. You might say, well, God owes me one more chance. He owes me another opportunity to hear the gospel. He owes me one more chance to touch my heart to be able to respond by faith. It's an evil thing to say that God owes you anything. God owes you nothing. If you've heard the gospel of grace and some of you have grown up in this church or another church, you heard the blessed gospel your whole life. How could I say to the living God, you owe me one more chance? There are people who are dying today who never heard the gospel. And that's not your fault. But I'm saying it so that you would hear and remember. I heard the gospel. He already favored me. 
Look at the blessings represented in this room. Generations of God's faithfulness to his people. How arrogant of us to say, you owe me one more chance. Just give me one more shot, Lord, I'll respond. If they could hear the living God speak to them for 40 years and they didn't respond, why do you suppose one more shot will do it for you? May we shudder in the presence of God and our lack of faith before Him. I want you to notice something, though, about why it was that God judged them, why He poured out punishment on His special people. It wasn't because their vows displeased God. They said, we'll do what you tell us to do. It was that their day-to-day life, their Monday through Friday, their calendar life, lacked any real connection with God. It was the lukewarmness of their day-to-day life and no relationship with Him that caused Him to spew them out of His mouth. You can't come into the promised land. I won't let you enter it. They had no vital relationship with Him. That was the reason. He was displeased. The issue wasn't the preacher or the music or the dress code or anything else in the wilderness. It was because their sinful, leaky hearts received the grace of God and then they turned away. They were dull of hearing and they drifted from the living God. These are people who, if you sat down with them, could tell you all the stories. They could wonder you with what God did for his people because they saw them with their own eyes. They could tell you every detail, but they only saw the rock of God who we sang about this morning. They only saw the rock of God as a means to an end, as if they married God for his money. Only wanting his blessings and the things they could get out of it. And after all they had seen, they refused to walk with him by faith. They refused to walk in his ways. We should shudder if that's us today. Is there any evidence of you walking with God Monday through Saturday? Or is your Christian life represented only in being here on a Sunday morning? Or from time to time, maybe even being here for other activities? Is there a shred of evidence that you belong to the living God in your life? I'm not saying it in judgment. I'm asking you today if you will hear His voice. Do not harden your hearts. Lastly, in this text, the exhortation to faith. This writer to the Hebrews is concerned for them. He's concerned that they're walking in the same steps that their forefathers did. But he tells them something of hope first. This exhortation to faith. He says, remember, God's promise was fulfilled. Though Moses did not lead God's people into the promised land. Who did? Who led God's people into the land of Canaan? Joshua did. Joshua led them into the promised land. God defeated their enemies. He was their captain, their warrior, their fighter. He let out the enemies from the land. He provided for them. They took full possession of the land that had been promised to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. They heard of these promises and they laid hold of them. God was faithful. He kept his promise. Do you doubt that today? Well, God keeps his promises in general, but I don't know that he really keeps his promises to me and to my family. Read your Bibles. Does God keep his promises? In Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 10 Moses, speaking to Joshua right before Moses died, he says, But you will cross the Jordan and settle in the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, and he will give you rest from all your enemies around you so that you will live in safety. God promised that. And then you get to Joshua chapter 22, verse 4. This is Joshua speaking to the tribes who asked for the land on the other side of the Jordan. Joshua says to them, Now that the Lord your God has given your brothers rest as he promised. Return to your homes in the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side of the Jordan. God kept his promise to his people. He kept his promise. 
That's the bedrock. You have to start there, dear people. If you don't believe God keeps promises, you won't read His Word. If you don't believe God keeps promises, you won't pray. You won't do anything that you would say is an attempt or a step in faith unless you believe God keeps His promises. But if He does, then there's nothing you could endeavor to do by faith that won't be filled with His power if it's for His glory alone. So the exhortation to faith, number one, the promise was fulfilled. Number two, that promise of rest still remains for you and for me. Being in the land, settled in their homes, free from the threat of enemies, which was God's doing, it wasn't theirs. They still had to look in the mirror every day. And despite their address changing, we are no longer wanderers forwarding all of our mail somewhere. We now have a home. We live in the promised land. This is the land God gave us. Even though their address had changed, when they looked in the mirror, they were still the same person. They still were in their sin. This promised rest that God said would come was still a promise that remained. It's why He spoke through David in Psalm 95 that there yet remains a rest for the people of God because the rest that Joshua gave them wasn't the final rest. Yes, He delivered them from their enemies into the land that God swore to their forefathers. But there was a rest yet still to come in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He would come and give them rest from their sins. Do you have a sense of wanting that rest? Of wanting finally to be delivered from this body of death? Of repenting of the same thing over and over again? That you struggle with it. Lord, I can't believe I'm coming back to you again today after I repented of it yesterday. Does it hurt your heart that you disappoint the fathers in your sin? Yet the promise still remains in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Jesus says, come to me and rest. And it was this rest from sin that David spoke about. When he said, today, if you will hear his voice, Psalm 95, verse 8, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Reverend Alistair Begg spoke of this passage in this way, and I think it's actually very helpful. He spoke of taking hold of God's promises by faith in two ways. Imagine your two hands. With one of them, you're clinging to God's promise For yourself, believing by faith, walking with Him each day. But with the other hand, you are reaching back and pulling as many of God's people with you as you can. The me and Jesus theology is an abomination to the living God. You and I should be caring and breaking and aching when our brothers and sisters seem to be falling away. It shouldn't be a matter of gossip. It should be a matter of prayer, of love and affection. Obey the Lord. Walk with Him. Don't let your heart fall away from the living God. Don't let there be unbelief in your heart, brother or sister. That's the main thing I'm concerned about when I speak to you. That's what he's saying. And Paul spoke this way in Romans 9. He says, I tell you the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears with me. Witnessing in the Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. For I could wish that I were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertains the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God and the promises of whom are the fathers and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all and eternally blessed God. Amen. He says. If I could trade places with any of my fellow countrymen, I would. That they might hear the truth and believe it and call upon the name of the Lord in faith. I want to give you three ways, and this is not something I plan to do, but three ways that I think you know you're hearing the voice of God and believing. Walking with Him by faith. Not convincing yourself, not lying and being self-deceived. Three ways that you know that you hear. Number one is that you read God's Word. You open your Bible and say, Speak, O Lord, your servant listens. 
Do you read your Bible expecting God to speak to you? It's His holy word. And He says that it is bread and life for us. Number two, worship for you is service. That's what Paul meant when he said that they had been given the priestly service. They had been given the blessed opportunity as a nation to be a kingdom of priests before God. They would be the ones who would serve the living God in His presence. That's why we're here today. It's called a worship service. Not going to church. It's a worship service. In fact, church isn't about you at all. It's actually about Him. About offering up to Him everything that you are in praise and worship and adoration. And not just on Sundays. It's supposed to spill into Every part of your life. That's what the Spirit of God, He takes hold of everything. Number three, another way that you know you've heard the voice of God is you do have care and concern for others. You're concerned about their soul. You want to know that they belong to the living God. You care about evangelism. You want to share the gospel and tell people about Jesus. And give them the message of hope. And you can say, I know that it's real because He changed me. But I know the Word of God is true because God said it. Today, if you hear His voice, be still. And listen. Let's pray. Father in Heaven, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You that You condescend to us. Sinful, lowly creatures who deserve punishment and hell forever. Lord, we give you praise and thanks and adoration that you condescend to us to send the Lord Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins, paying the punishment for us. He became sin who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. May that cause our hearts to leap with joy. Father, I pray that you would help us in our weariness and in our sorrow in this world because of our sin. We see its effects around us every day. We see it in our hearts. We see it in our homes. We absolutely see it in this world. I pray, Lord, that you would give us a longing to cross, just as God's people did, to cross the Jordan and to enter into the promised land, the rest that you give your people in your presence, in heaven forever. Give us a longing for that. In Jesus' name, amen. There's an insert in your bulletin for our final hymn today. Let's stand together and sing, On Jordan's Stormy Banks I Stand.
seated as we take an offering to the glory of God. Father, we thank you for this portion of our worship service to be able to return back to you our tithes and our offerings. Lord, may they preach to us today the gospel. May we see as we give in joy that our hearts are chasing less and less after this world and more and more for your presence. Lord, we pray that you would bless our offerings and our tithes, that they would be for your glory alone. We pray that you would use them to spread the good news of Jesus. We pray that lost souls who don't know you would hear of the Lord Jesus and his precious blood. And may they be taken out of the kingdom of darkness and brought into your kingdom of light by your power. In Jesus' name, amen. of our Lord from Hebrews chapter 13. Now may the God of peace, who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, 
make you complete in every good work to do His will, working in you what is well-pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.